Yo, yo, what up, what up? Great to have you here on the WTF Should I Do With My Life podcast. If you don't know, I'm your host, Jacob Sokol, and this show is all about helping you live with greater levels of success and purpose while navigating the unique challenges and opportunities that exist today in a strategic way, living with more authenticity and integrity and overall motherfucking fun. That's right. I said it. Fun. So I've done interviews with some of the world's leading researchers like Tal Ben-Shahar, who taught the most popular class at Harvard of all time on the subject of happiness. I've interviewed world-class neuroscientists like Rick Hansen, author of Buddha's Brain. And I've even interviewed people on topics like peak performance such as Daniel Coyle, who wrote The Talent Code, and Tony Schwartz, who wrote The Power of Full Engagement, and spiritual luminaries like Nicole Day Doan, the founder of Orgasmic Meditation. So today's interview is with my good friend Jenny Blake. Jenny is an author, a career and business strategist, and international speaker who helps smart people organize their brain so that they can move beyond burnout and build sustainable, dynamic careers that they love. Jenny worked at Google for five years on the training and career development team, and then she's been running her business for over five years on her own, combining her love of technology with her superpower of simplifying complex ideas to help clients pivot in their career or their businesses. So today's interview is super fun. Uh, It's always fun to do interviews with people who I've had long relationships with because there's just so much juice and kind of you know, fun crap that comes up uh, along the journey of unpacking this powerful wisdom. Uh, And I love interviewing people who I don't know well yet either because I get to play with them in this new way. But nevertheless, today's interview was a ton of fun. And some of the things you'll specifically learn as you continue to listen are the top three skills to build to protect yourself from a disrupted job market, right? We can all kind of identify that the world is changing at a rapidly fast pace and traditional jobs are just not secure anymore. So what do we do in order to protect ourselves for whatever the future has in store for us? We'll also look at the four stages to pivoting your career and why it's important to learn how to pivot and how to take action in each of these stages. We'll talk about one of my favorite kind of hidden topics that I think about and talk about, which is how do you become recession-proof? And how do you answer this question of what's next when you can hear yourself kind of asking that on the inside? So with no further ado, let us jump into the magic of today and of Jenny Blake. Let's do it. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jay. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, well, you know I love you and I love what you do and who you are and the fact that we get to spend some time today unpacking the wisdom of your latest book, which we'll dive into in a minute, is super exciting. So uh, so thanks for being here. Well, thank you. The feeling is mutual, and it's just been such an honor to be on these pivot paths together. And it's, I always love hanging out with you and getting to jam on things like this. It's crazy. I think we first met at the World Domination Summit year one, maybe, which was 2011, I believe. Does that sound right? Yes, that that certainly does. Yep. We, and we, then the following year, wasn't it the TBS? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Total Body Summit or something? <laughs> 
Yeah, so we, we, me and Jenny had an inside joke that because when people travel, oftentimes they use that as a an excuse to really indulge and eat differently and, and drink more and not take great care of themselves. And we were both so all about our health that we had to create our own little private summit happening, which we called, I think, T- TBS. The, the, bo- body, the body summit. The That's body summit. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Where we, we would be like want to go do yoga or want to go for a walk <laughs> while everyone's maybe getting wasted and that was fun i liked that accountability yeah. hashtag tbs that was great it was great um well right on stoked to have you here uh and yeah likewise honored to be on the journey with you and kind of um ping pong paths together over the last five six years so let me let me just one say congratulations on the new book pivot and why don't we start today by you just kind of unpacking you know what is the book about what is pivot about well thank you so much for the congrats it is my attempt to unpack this question what's next because I was working at Google. I left to start my own thing. I thought that, that was this really big, stressful moment in my life. And then about a year and a half in, I hit another wall. And I started questioning what's next again. And that time, that was 2013, was really challenging for me. And I just did not feel very resilient in my life or in my business. And now I didn't have a paycheck to fund that exploration. So I became really curious about and committed to solving this for myself. And also it was kind of as I looked ahead to my career, I thought, I can't do this Mm. for the next 30, 40 years. I can't go through such inner turmoil every two years as I had been since I was 20 years old every time I would hit these pivot points. And so you know me, I love templates and structure and systems and organizations. So I felt like if we're all going to be asking and answering this question, what's next more often then let's get better at it. And how can we become better at the change process and actually start to enjoy it? Mm. What I love is it almost sounds like this what next was like a question that like kind of triggered you in a yeah. way. I, I So I, I have your book here and I picked it up this morning preparing for our interview and, and I I thought I'm okay. I'll just you know kind of check out the book, and then next thing I know, I'm 120 pages into it this morning. Oh, I'm so honored. Yeah, and and I remember. So you tell a story in the book how when your first book came out, Life After College, you're at South by Southwest. You're signing autographs. You're kind of you're at your your book release party, and some some guys like so. What's next? And you're like, dude, what the fuck? Like I'm celebrating my book party, right? Like 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 what? Um, so right. It's, it's really cool to hear how that thing that initially really kind of caught you off guard or triggered you ended up becoming a gateway for you to to go into um, really helping people understand how to navigate this terrain. And isn't that so funny how life and the creative process works that you're exactly right. That question really triggered me in that moment. I. My book was not even in stores yet. And when he asked that, I felt so deflated. Like, I had just been working on that book for three years. I stared down every gremlin to write it. And there was no moment of even celebration. It was just already, what's next? I'm like, I'm exhausted. I was just working at Google for three years while writing a book on the side. And I'm freaking tired. Like, what do you mean, what's next? And I just was flabbergasted. Of course, he meant the best. And we always do. It's kind of, 
one of these things like asking how are you saying what's next is just what you do or I know some parents if they have a kid or no any couple it's like when are you gonna get married when are you gonna have a kid when are you gonna have a second kid and that yeah. Some people don't mind, but some people feel like, get up out of my business. Mm. <laughs> you know? Count me in as one of those people. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. It's really funny that that question that really rankled me in the moment has become this core study. I kind of wish I identified that sooner. Might have mm. saved me getting to zero in my business in the interim. But you're right. When I looked back, it was... It was always about transition and change. And again, because I had such a hard time with it and I can tend toward anxiety and worry and people pleasing. And so pivot is really a way to put a positive spin. And, you know, I, I, I felt like there's either something wrong with me and I'm going to experience this quarter life or midlife crisis every few years and I'm never going to be happy or that change process is accelerating and actually we're all going through it more often. And when I started doing research for the book, I recognized that the latter was really the case. And so I chose the word pivot, kind of co-opted it from Silicon Valley to have a, a term that's gender neutral and judgment neutral, that instead of seeing change as a crisis, especially career change, which can be quite frightening, that it's normal. And actually, a pivot is a sign of success. When we hit a pivot point, it's usually a sign that, cool, we've completed this last little leg of our journey and now we're ready for something new. And unlike in the business context where pivot is plan B in order to save a business from collapse in a career sense, it's really a mindset and a skill set that the better we come, become at pivoting, the less jarring the pivot points become. Mm. It's cool when we can take a notion that we've traditionally defined as being bad or something that we don't want and redefine our relationship to it in a way that completely frees us or liberates us from the confines of constantly running from that thing or judging that thing. So for instance, uh, you know, if we look at being comfortable, kind of growing up, this is something that we're taught, you know, it's, it's good to be comfortable, you want to be comfortable. Right. And the more that we live into life and really go for what it is that we want, we learn one of the best things you can do is to get comfortable being uncomfortable, to learn how to feel discomfort, not so much that you completely snap yourself, but enough that you actually um, can say, oh yeah, that this intense feeling, that's a good thing. Let me breathe into that. And that's what I'm hearing when it comes to what you're talking about here with pivoting, it's something that maybe traditionally people would say, oh, this change is something that, that I don't want or change this type of change or uncertainty might be a bad thing. And what I think you've wisely recognized is it's actually something that is here to stay and it's probably going to increase only more. And so instead of pushing it away or trying to avoid it, how do we get really good at thriving and navigating uh, these these new times? Exactly. And change is such a tricky, kind of paradoxical thing for so many of us because we do resist it. We kind of want to just coast and have things be hunky-dory. And then the other, on the other hand, we would be really bored without it. Mm. And so it is this push and pull of how do we find the sweet spot for change? How do we find that place that is stretchy and edgy, but engaging and challenging? And as Joseph Campbell says, and I quote in the book, we experience the rapture of being alive. 
that in the end, that's the game we're playing called life, that it's about the adventure. And so while we don't want so much change that it sends us into panic or paralysis, we are hungry for a certain amount of it. And definitely anybody listening to your podcast, Jay, is like, I call them high net growth individuals where, mm. yeah, money's nice, but it's not everything. And for someone who considers themselves high net growth instead of high net worth, and they're often wealthy in both, but that they will often take a pay cut or bootstrap a business or make a horizontal move in order to emphasize their own learning and growth, and which is a huge part of the change process. Mm, so cool. So would it make sense to look at the different stages of pivoting? Uh, maybe you can tell us kind of how many stages you, you define, and then we can we can kind of go through them and unpack them a bit. Sure. Yeah, I really... So one of my favorite quotes is from the practice of agile development, and it's each time you repeat a task, take one step toward automating it. And so I thought if we're all going to be changing directions more frequently, let's get better at this. Let's create an actual process. Let's unpack the pivot. You know, we hear the word pivot thrown around. So as I consider that, and by the way, um, was forced to figure this out because I was bank account was getting down to zero was going to have to leave New York or go get another job. And in my heart of hearts, that's really not what I felt was the right move for me. So I had to figure this out. And I realized that the biggest mistake I was making was looking too far outside of myself for answers, what I didn't know, what I didn't want, what I didn't have. And so kind of came to me this, what is a pivot? Really? I thought about a basketball player that when they stop dribbling, they ground down in their plant foot, and then they can scan for passing options with their pivot foot. So the pivot method is based on that as a foundation. And it's it's four stages. Plant, scan, pilot, launch. Plant is about what's working. What are your strengths and interests? And where do you want to end up a year from now? What are your known variables? So where are you now? Where do you want to end up? Scan is that now we can bridge the gap between those two. So we can scan for people, skills, and projects that might be exciting. Pilot is about running small experiments to test those ideas about what's out there. And you can repeat plant scan pilot over and over. And piloting is like passing the ball around the court. And then ultimately, sometimes it's time for a bigger launch. So someone could cycle plant scan pilot for years and be totally happy. A launch is when you have to kind of pull the trigger and go all in on a new direction, like quitting a job or launching a business or launching a new program in your business. And so the launch moment is really where you've reduced risk up to that point, but there's still some uncertainty. Mm. So before we unpack that a bit more, how would someone know that they're a good candidate for pivoting at this point in their life? It's really evolved because at first I was thinking of it like, okay, it's a big career change. But as I've been talking about it and writing the book, pivot is, is a it's really a method you can use to map what's next at any point in any, from any position. Some pivots are going to be sharper turns. They're going to be bigger moves and some are going to be quite small. So even everyone listening to this podcast, you know, we can start to look at, you know, you can reflect on 2016, what worked best, what are your strengths, what would be super exciting to have happening in 2017? And what are you most excited to learn? Who do you want to connect with? What projects do you want to tackle? What small experiments can you run? So it can really be used as a framework for anybody. But particularly the people who I think, how do you know when you're at a pivot point is when you feel a little restless. 
if not like outright bored, <laughs> where you're kind of like, okay, so the way I was working is no longer working and I'm ready for something new. Mm, cool. So let's let's kind of take the, everyone listening through a, a journey of someone who might be in a career that they're feeling a little bit restless, a little bit bored in their in their soul, in their heart. There's maybe this calling that it's time to um, to do something else, to to change or evolve in some way. How how would we? Um, we it sounds like we would start with. Step one, which would be planting, which is about really checking in about who are you, what matters most to you, um, what's working, what are your strengths, and kind of deepening your own knowledge of self, your self-awareness, and then kind of using that as the foundation to go through step two, three, and four. But let me check in with you. Does that, does that sound about right? Yeah, absolutely. That the, the temptation when we hit a pivot point is to say, Oh, this isn't working. What's out there? And that we immediately start looking what's out there. Mm. But that leads to a lot of scanning without a plan. It, the scanning's kind of aimless. They're in the basketball player analogy, you're just running around the court in circles. There's nothing grounded. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. So, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure we've all done it. And then on the other hand, we can also all we can all reverse engineer our own pivots and look back and say, oh yeah, I see what thing A had in common with thing B. So now we just need to apply that skill set that we have probably unknowingly applied in the past and, and do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. So now we say, you exactly covered it. What are my strengths? What's already working? When do I feel the most in the zone? And what do I want a year from now? So that's really important too because career changes can spark a lot of fear because they involve money and our ability to provide for ourselves. And so um, a, a common mistake is to just kind of focus on worst case scenarios and what we're afraid of. But it really is much more productive and effective and efficient to say, what do I want a year from now? Don't worry yet about how. It's much more important to understand, you know, what does your ideal average day look like? How do you want to feel? What types of projects do you want to be working on? If you could become an expert at something, what would that be? If you knew you could give a TED talk and it would go viral, what would you say? These are really energizing questions that the more clear a person can be, the more effective they'll be as they move into the later stages of the pivot method. I've never heard that question before. If you could be an expert on anything, what would that be? I really like that one. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's fun to think about because we think that experts are kind of anointed from some higher power, if not a higher education. And yet really... Any of us can kind of commit to something and learn it. We're not guaranteed to become the go-to expert in the whole world, but mm. it's an, it's also fun to think about what do people most often come to you for advice for? Um, and then another version of that that I like is, and then what do they leave with that they weren't expecting? Mm. And so I think those can also point to what your your expertise or your strengths or your zone of genius are that you might not even be aware of. So let's say that someone is in a job in finance and they're doing pretty well uh, by society standards, but they have this kind of craving or this calling on the inside that it's time to make a leap. This isn't the culture that they want to be spending their time in. There's a part of themselves that they want to express more creatively, more freely, and there's this fear of man, I'm getting this great paycheck. People would kill to be in this position, but 
I, I, I know that this kind of isn't, isn't working for me. I'd be selling myself short, selling out my soul if I stayed here forever. Um, maybe you can walk us through. So, so it starts with, uh, with identifying some of those, the answers to the questions you were just asking, strengths, values, visions. Um, then maybe take us through, through the rest of the steps. So how would they go into to sure. step two? So let me, but even before that, I'll say I share in the book a infographic of what I call the riskometer and that when you hit a plateau, we go from our comfort zone into a stagnation zone and the stagnation is like, yeah, you're restless, you're bored. Maybe you're getting sick more often. Comfort zone is eh, works fine. Stretch zone is where we feel challenged and engaged. And then panic zone is we're trying to turn too sharply. So in the case of the example you just gave, if I said to him, let's give him a name. Do we have a name for him? Uh, we do. And he's probably listening to this, but I don't <laughs> okay. want to call him out. But he knows that I love him. And so what's okay. up, dude? Uh, okay. Let's 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 call him. Uh, uh, let's let's call him Is baklava. He... Baklava. OK, great. Baklava. That's so celebratory. Um <laughs> Let's say baklava. If I said to him, you know what? Just quit your job tomorrow. Just everyone's doing it. Just quit your job. Start a muse business. Four-hour work week to shut out of it and move to a beach in Thailand. You can do it, man. Okay. It would probably send him into his panic zone. The thought of that would be so paralyzing to go from this really comfy, safe salary and societally approved position yeah. into to do a 180. So what I would say to baklava the best name ever <laughs> is one give me some you're delicious um Ooh, we just took a nice two, turn in this podcast no. wow then i was like that's actually really not pg anymore okay um, but, jenny i don't know if you saw but we have the explicit content logo on this podcast okay so okay. you can it's called what the fuck do i do with my life you can say whatever okay. you want here good well maybe that i'm just trying to live up to the explicit destination <laughs> Great to know. Okay, so for Baklava, so I would say, well, what is working? What do you enjoy about your job? Even if it's just 10%, what's the piece that you do love? Maybe for him, it's working with people. Maybe he likes geeking out on spreadsheets like I do. I don't know yet. What does success look like a year from now? Now for him, for Baklava, for example, I've seen a lot of people kind of pivot before they pivot. So think about a parallel parking job. You might have to make a couple turns to get in there. So he, I've seen people transition successfully within a big company. He could go from being a risk analyst to working in HR. I'm not saying he wants to go down the HR track, but you can get creative about how you try something totally new and different, even within your organization or even pitching a role or a side project that helps you start to experiment. So the key is really the scan stage. So you mentioned stage number two, scan. This is people. Who do you admire? Who is doing what you want to do? Who can you connect with both inside of the company and outside of it? Who can you learn from, from afar, from books or podcasts? You know, I, I love watching Amy Schumer's career ascent. And even if I don't talk to her in person, even though I've put out a call to the universe for us to be friends someday, <laughs> I, I like learning from her. And Tim Ferriss, I feel the same way. Yeah, it'd be awesome if we could be friends someday. But in the meantime, I'm learning a shit ton from these people. So who can you kind of learn from? What, what friends can you set up accountability and community with? Things like Sensify and what, what Jacob's doing are amazing for connecting and getting support. 
and then skills. So often when we define where we are now and where we want to be in a year, there is a gap between in our skills. And so what classes can you take? What do you want to learn? What are you most curious about? And by starting with people and skills, you can start to then tip into projects and pilots. So the third stage pilot is all about small experiments. And a good pilot will help test the three E's. One, do I enjoy this new direction? Two, can I become an expert at it? And three, is there room to expand either within the company or within the market? So for Baklava, he might pick a pilot that is a small thing that maybe he's doing a side hustle and he's just trying to understand. Maybe he's interested in doing a podcast for people trying to escape the finance, the banking industry. All right, well, he can start doing that on on the side and try and understand, do I enjoy this? Can I get good at it? And then is there room for me to do more of it? And by doing that, he's starting to build incrementally in a new direction rather than trying to make it all happen overnight. Mm, cool. That reminds me of, and I think you even referenced this in the book, the the MVP model when it comes to business, which is minimum viable product. So instead of saying, oh, I got this great idea to go uh, start a bakery and then you need to buy a website and, and rent out a store and, you know, spend uh, tens of thousands on supplies, right? It would just start with like going to like a flea market and like baking some cupcakes and seeing if people <laughs> like them, right? And yeah, like testing exactly. it. Yeah. And that's directly co-opted from Lean Startup and even, you know, he kind of popularized it, even though Eric Reese isn't the one who made it up. But that, um, yeah, that this idea of at Google, we had a mantra, it was launch and iterate and be scrappy. So mm-hmm. there was a big premium on launching things, even when they weren't perfect. And actually, m- importantly, so mm-hmm. when they weren't perfect. And that was a big difference between Google and Microsoft at the time, which was Microsoft would run a waterfall development process where every next step hinges on the one before it. They would sort of perfect products for years and years before releasing them. Whereas at Google, we would release products that people would complain about. But in complaining and using these early while they were still quite buggy, the development teams got real-time feedback Mm -hmm. and could kind of build the plane while flying it. And I think that is really a skill we can develop in our career and side hustles and businesses. Mm. One question I have as you were speaking, I heard you mention, you know, what does your vision look like for one year? Um, Is that something that you'd advise and tell people, you know, don't worry so much about what three, five, 10, 20 years look like? Definitely. I hate the question, where do you see yourself in five years? I think it's totally obsolete. Mm. I think some people do have a vision. I knew when I applied to Google on the AdWords training team, I did know that I want to be an author and a speaker someday. And at that time, I was 21. I thought maybe when I'm 60, I'll be able to write a book. You know, I didn't know. I thought I had to wait a really long time. But I used to get hives on my neck and chest. I used to turn bright red when I would speak in front of people. So I actually applied for the job on the training team because I knew my my ultimate goal and that I knew the training team would be good immersion therapy. Uh. So, and sometimes people have a goal. You know, if you're attending graduate school, you're, you're going to have a goal maybe two years out. But for the most part, thinking in terms of a year, that can also help you develop with where you are right now. It doesn't, again, it doesn't mean, oh, you need to change drastically from year to year to year. But 
it's to say that in five years, things are going to have changed so much. I mean, even the iPhone is not even 10 years old yet. It launched in 2007 and they're now billion dollar companies that have been created from the app marketplace. And um, we could have never seen that coming, really. That's fascinating. So I want to get more into into that kind of um, direction in a minute. But one other thing, when you speak about the three E's, the enjoy, expert and expand, how can someone know if there's potential for them to be an expert at something that they're trying out? Part of it is how do they feel when they're doing it? So I find that natural curiosity is a great elixir for expertise because it just, it's just, we will read, we'll dig into something on our own time for fun and just get so engrossed in it and lost in the moment that, you know, I'd encourage everybody listening to just think about the last time that happened for you. Even if the subject matter had nothing to do with your work. Hmm. For me, it was, I did a crazy rabbit hole on astrology for like six months (laughs) last year. And it was awesome. Even though I didn't know how it was going to apply to my career or my business, I was having so much fun and I just loved it. And my next thing that I cannot wait to have the time to dig into is building a bot. And I I just can't wait to learn it. And it's, I'm I'm never going to be a bot engineer, but so I think part of becoming an expert is what, facet of something can you become an expert at so with astrology I was doing readings for I was calling my sessions career cosmos like looking at someone's chart specifically to tell them their strengths Mm. which is very much in line with what I was exploring with pivot and then with bot making I'm not going to be the one building bot software but I can create a bot that will people could interact with on my Facebook page, you know, just like um, the White House just released a bot that you can send feedback to President Obama. You know, if anyone has used Slack, there's a bot that kind of helps you get up to speed. So I think it's picking something you're curious about and then understanding what part can you get good at. Let's use the example of podcasting. You know, I taught myself audio editing in GarageBand. I'll never be an audio engineer, most likely. I really like learning new tools. But the part that that I have been building a skill and a muscle around is because I've been coaching for almost 10 years, I realized only in hindsight that jumping on Skype and asking questions for an hour was coming quite naturally to me yep. and was quite joyful. And I had no idea that coaching was going to lead so naturally into podcasting. I never thought about that. But only when I started doing it, I could see that connection. Totally, totally. And you said the word curiosity. It's funny. I just went on a mini rant on my Facebook page uh, yesterday about how I took the Strengths Finders test back, po- the positive psychology one, VIA, uh, Signature Strengths. Oh, yeah. And I took it about six years ago, and one of my top strengths was curiosity. And I'm like, fucking curiosity? Really? Who the hell wants, like, I wanted, like, you know, being, like, charismatic or brilliant or hilarious. And I'm like, you know, like, curiosity? And it's interesting to see how um, curiosity has actually, the more that I, I've aligned myself with my strengths and giving myself permission to go all in on what's unique about me, that curiosity is this great uh, tool for the coaching that I do, for the interviews that I do. Like I'm preparing all these questions with my curiosity, so much so that it it almost feels like 
on some level like curiosity is like a path to god in a way because oh, it's yeah. like it's like <laughs> why it's like well there's something inside of you that has you wanting to expand in this direction and that's curiosity but why yeah it just feels like it's like become this spiritual thing oh. to me where before i was like fucking curiosity really i love wow like curiosity as a path to god calling you to expand i mean nailing it hashtag. <laughs> uh also yes curiosity i've done a ton of research on what skills and meta skills make people the most agile curiosity is a killer app i mean huh. i would put curiosity in the top three apps if we could I, sometimes i say you know think of yourself like a smartphone and we can we can all download apps for skills interests, and education curiosity is a total meta level killer app amazing you're right it applies to everything. I'm so curious. What would the what would be the other two that you would put there? <laughs> oh, are you now? I'm so shocked that you're curious. <laughs> uh, these days, I would put robot whispering and AI whispering, which means how well do you work with technology? So, talking to Siri, doing Google searches, talking to Alexa if you have one. You know, how well do you kind of roll up your sleeves and jump in and just kind of compliment your technology rather than than be like angry at it. Um, and then, and that, by the way, my friend, professor Tom Guariello, he studies that on his podcast, RoboPsych, which is the psychology of human robot interaction. And then in a book called humans are underrated, I would say the third killer app, he says, we're moving from knowledge workers to relationship workers. And so the killer app there is person to person interaction, empathy, uh, creating programs that have more high touch, even this podcast you know, I think people kind of got sick of blogs because there's so much writing on the web now. It's mm-hmm. oversaturated. And, but podcasting, even though there are a ton of podcasts, this is actually more intimate. It's, it's relate, we're relationship working. We're talking. People can listen. It's more intimate. And so that would, I would say that's a good example of the relationship worker skill. Hmm. Do you, this is super fascinating, and I, I wanted to go here later in the interview, and somehow we already got here. Do you think that how well you work with technology is something that you can build like a skill, or do you think that some people are just like, I don't do technology, I hate it, and it's not worth paying attention to? So the secret to what you said, yes. Yes, it's a skill and you can definitely get better at it. But what you're pointing to is the mindset that precedes the skill. So how we think about it, and this is, I mean, really goes for so much of life. If life is out to get you, that's kind of what's going to happen. If you think technology is is out to screw you and just make your life difficult, you're not going to be motivated to learn how to get better at it. Hmm. So the first thing is to recognize that, and I interviewed Kevin Kelly on my podcast we are in a perpetual newbie state. That's what Kevin Kelly says, and it's true. Even those of us who would consider ourselves tech savvy, how often does our iPhone update or the apps update, and all of a sudden you open an app, and you're like, what the? This looks so different from the last time I opened it. And so if we can all just remember we're all in a perpetual newbie state because things are changing so quickly, then we can stop taking it personally when we don't know how to do something Mm technology-wise. You know, when I opened... Garage band, I could have just been like, fuck this, you know, this is like, I don't know how to do this. This is too hard. But all, but then the people who succeed are the ones who are willing to spend a little extra time up front, be awkward, Google things, 
over and over and over and over again until you start getting some answers and watching YouTube tutorial videos. And then if you really don't like it, okay, you can outsource it, hire someone, stop doing it, all of that. But at least you know, okay, I've been open to at least try it. Mm, This is great. Uh, I love that idea, perpetual newbie state. And because I do think that there is a level of self-judgment that occurs when we don't know how to do something. And some people really have this this kind of inner critic uh, badly. And so I never, I never thought to piece it together that way, that part of the reason that people are um, frustrated with technology is because there's some type of internal feedback that they're receiving from themselves, like, I'm not good enough or I'm stupid. Yeah. And, yeah. and so then they push it away. Right. And you should know this. Yeah. Or, this should be with taking you? so long. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And that goes to our creative projects too. And you know, because Jay, like we've been doing this for for a while now. Uh I created my first website in 2005 to teach myself CSS. And the part that was far scarier was when I turned it into a blog and I had to kind of raise my hand and say uh, I'm going to share ideas now. <laughs> you know, that was terrifying. Teaching myself CSS was fine. That was fun for me. But trying to get the courage to be like, somebody should listen to what I have to say other than my parents. And so I think <laughs> it's a willingness to do it anyway and to just feel awkward as hell and fumble through it. And that's what's gotten you and I here today. It's not like we started as anything other than just curious and willing to be imperfect and keep uh- going. Uh, Totally. So here's my perpetual newbie state uh, in play right now. When you say bot, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Bots are little automated communication helpers, at least in the term. So you could think of a robot. That's not what I'm referring to of an actual physical uh, machine that would be moving around. Bots are these automated helpers that you can communicate with. So I'll use the White House bot as an example. Now through Facebook Messenger, if I connect with their, if I send a message on Facebook, I'm going to get the bot and the bot's going to say, what message would you like to send to President Obama? And I I did this the other day, by the way. And I was like, you're doing a great job. Yeah, you're (laughs) such an inspiration. You're doing a great job. Thanks for everything. And then the bot said, great, we'll pe- be sure to pass this along. But first, I need to collect some information from you. What's your name? And so, you know, I interacted with the bot. And the, the, the thing is, it's not a person. It's, uh, it's been programmed. And some bots are more sophisticated than others in that they can read and parse natural language and really give nuanced replies. Like they're, they're trying to invent a talking Barbie that essentially has bot technology where a, a kid could talk to her about anything go like Barbie might ask how are your friends doing this week and the kid might reply and then Barbie would have an intelligence response whereas you know this Facebook bot that I described might be a little more straightforward wow okay there you have it uh so good well I have a couple questions here that we kind of skimmed around but I want to ask them anyway just in case if anything else comes up for you that you think would be helpful to share that we could get it out there and and if not then we can we can bypass them. But one one big question that I've been thinking about in the last year is how do we make ourselves recession proof? Anything come to mind when when I ask that question? Yes, because I was really curious. I wanted to understand what do the most agile pivoters do? What what qualities do they have? 
And the thing that I've seen, there are three qualities. One, results. Two, reputation. Three, platform. Results. You got to make things happen. I mean, to show whether results within your current job, your company, for your clients, that's doing the work. And that's actually making an impact. Reputation is cool. Do people know about that? You know, do you, are you now starting to generate enough results and a history of results that you have, are developing a reputation to the point where then platform is about really proactively putting yourself out there. And just like our Bluetooth devices, making ourselves discoverable to opportunities. So the most recession proof, the most agile people I've seen have such strong results and reputation and platform that opportunities are knocking down the door to get to them. If they're self-employed, they have a wait list. If they're working at a company, they're getting poached by recruiters for bigger and better roles. And that because of how they have established themselves and put themselves out there, that actually they don't even have to look things come to them. And so the next question is, how the hell do we get to that point? And I'm assuming the answer is get really good at what you do. And so uh, let me, again, throw that back at you. Any kind of tips or wisdom as far as getting to that point where we're so good that people are knocking at our door, literally waiting for us to be available to help Mm -hmm. them? I do think and of course, this can feel really stressful for some people. Like, they're not knocking yet. Where the hell yeah. are they? What's my thing? What's my one thing? And what's my purpose? And there we get into some really hairy questions that can put a lot of pressure. I do think this is partly where we need to lean into the gift that is our life. Like, it is complex to understand how we're going to become this go-to person. It's probably not going to happen overnight. This is the the 10 year build up to the overnight success, but we can keep, this is where pivot as a mindset and a continuous process can be really helpful, which is that the more you can continue to check in what's working, what are my strengths? How can I double down on them? Mm. That's where you start to create a momentum snowball that grows and generates more and more momentum. And some people want to be specialists. They want to go really deep on one thing. Others want to be generalists. They want to talk about a variety of topics. And so I think it's also knowing that, you know, becoming the go-to person can happen in a variety of different ways. And it's kind of about how your brain works. And again, you know, my purpose and anyone is free to borrow it because I think it's universally applicable. Mine is just, how can I be the most helpful to the most people? And that's always changing in a certain sense. And so, you know, I don't necessarily know the answer from year to year, but when I stay focused on that, that's when the opportunities continue to follow. Mm, I love it. And it's grounding. There, There is a, a reality check of, hey, listen, you're not going to be this superstar overnight and the people who we look up to and admire the most. They have countless hours, years, and decades uh, behind them while uh, while honing their craft and getting so good. And then what I love that you brought up earlier in the podcast was I think it's really cool to play with the intersection of things that don't normally seem to intersect, yeah. meaning like career coaching and astrology or like me, I wrote a post on uh, positive psychology and M&M yesterday. It's like those nice. things have nothing to do with each other. But I think that yeah. 
I think that the, those are the opportunities also for people who are listening. It's like the pain is the gift. The pain that it's like, no, no, nobody in, in my in my current thing over here, like I just feel like I can't be myself or like this other part of me doesn't fit in. And right. and it's a beautiful opportunity to say, okay, wait, yeah, there there is no um, there is no space that merges your three and a half different passions of cooking Indian food and, you know, going scuba diving and, you know, being an astrologer and like bring those together and you get to create this thing that is so unique that it's, it's, um, it's you and there's no other version of that. Exactly. And there are 8 billion people on this planet and we now are connected to everybody through the internet so you'll find your people. You will find your Indian food cooking, scuba diving <laughs> astrologers who cannot wait. They're, they feel so lucky that they landed upon your exact website and podcast. You hear that, Baklava? We're talking to you. That's right, Baklava. That's right. Get going. <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, I love that you just said that. That's so important and it's so counterintuitive. It's like these things we try and keep separate from ourselves or hidden from other people end up being our biggest assets. And oh my goodness, that the pain is always the gift. It's always the gift of that thing that we struggle with becomes, because here's the thing, if we didn't struggle with something, we wouldn't care. It wouldn't even be a blip on our radar. We would just be moving through life without ever having to understand that area. So, you know, um, sometimes it can feel weird to write about something that we've struggled with because it's like, well, who am I to write about this? But on the other hand, shit you know like we had to go so deep into that rabbit hole and then come out of it that we're actually best positioned to write about those moments in our lives yeah yeah i love it word up so let's let's uh wrap up um i want to give one is i want to if you guys have listened this far into the podcast i suggest go grab a copy of jenny's book pivot why i think the subtitle is the only move that matters is your next one and uh, Jenny's amazing. There's all types of spreadsheets, bonuses, just total usefully geeky stuff that will uh, will be super helpful if you found today's conversation useful. Uh, and if you didn't, why the hell are you still listening? We got to have a conversation <laughs> about that. Um, but but Jenny, we can. Besides that, is there any other action step? You, you know, people are listening. You have the floor here. If if you could kind of give anybody who's listening an action step to take, um, what might be something at this point that could be useful for them to do besides grab the book? Beyond doing a vision, like do it as a mind map, do something really creative. And I, by the way, I have a template on my website. Uh, it's called the Ideal Day Mad Lib. That's really fun. So it'll get you to fill in what your ideal day looks like. And that's all at pivotmethod.com slash toolkit. But I would say beyond that, my favorite questions to ask, so I'll kind of throw it back out as a question. This is like coaches on coaches. But um, (laughs) I would say to ask yourself after listening to this, first of all, what jumped out? And based on that, what's one small thing that you can do today or this week? And then what's one next step that would make the biggest impact? And those are often two pretty different things. The biggest impact one might feel stretchy and edgy, and it should. That means you've landed on something great. And the small step is there's got to be something that sparked. You know, what is there a book you can buy? Is there a person you can reach out to? Is there a brainstorm you can do? Is there a question 
that you are curious about that you just want to write on the top of a piece of paper and stick to the back of your front door and write on it every time you leave the house as the answers come up. So, yeah, that's what I would say. And then if you want to understand your pivot profile with the Tom Guariello, the RoboPsych professor, we created a pivotability self-assessment. So you can find that at pivotmethod.com slash profile. And it's a short five-minute survey and you'll get your results. There's three pivot profiles. And so you can kind of see where you fall and get some additional resources. So good. Jenny, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Congrats on the new book. Thank you so much for having me, Jacob. And huge thanks to everybody who's been here listening.